I like that song, We Are the Champions, for various reasons. And a few weeks ago, you might have seen on ESPN when they did the show uh, Believer about Steve Spurrier. Did y'all see that? I think after the last few weeks, it's now Unbeliever. Uh, but anyway, he did the show Believer, and anytime ESPN does uh, one of those 30 for 30 specials or something like that, it is, it is always excellent. But my favorite part of the whole story was about Steve Spurrier's dad. And it was at the beginning of the show, and there were some of his friends that played baseball for Spurrier's dad when they were kids. And you might remember, they asked him a que- he asked them a question. He said, boys, what's more important? Is it for you to have a good time, or is it for you to win the game? Now, most of the boys ended up raising their hands, saying the most important thing is for you to have a good time. And then Spurrier's dad looked at them and said, now, boys, let me tell you something. That is where you're wrong. Now, that is not a politically correct statement today, right? I mean, today, it's everybody gets a trophy. It's all about participating. It's all about you just simply having a good time. But that ain't true. I mean, we all know this. I mean, if you want to know who won the game, the only thing you have to do is you look at the scoreboard. People keep count. And when you play a game, whether it's baseball, basketball, bowling, I don't care what it is, everybody wants to win. And that is, that is I think, for believers, I mean, I think for those of us who are Christians, deep down we know this. And yet for a lot of us, we are, when it comes to our spiritual life, it's a little bit confusing for us and it's a little bit hard for us because we don't really know what it means, you know, to win. You know, for those of us who are believers, how do we know that we are winning, you know, as Christians? You know, how do we know that we are being successful or that we are on a path to victory when it comes to our walk with God? And so today we are concluding our series, Rock Theology, by one of the uh, all-time great songs by Queen, We Are the Champions. And so it's my hope today that we are going to see what it means or how we can know that we are on a path to victory, to being champions concerning our walk with God. Because guys, let me tell you something. When God made you, when God made us, God made us for victory. God made us to win. And so the question is, well, what does that mean? And the question for me is, well, how can I know that I am on the pathway to victory in this life? And, you know, don't give me churchy answers, you know, just for real life stuff. How can I know that I'm on a path to victory? And so we're going to be looking today in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12 in just a few moments. And, and I think this passage, is, it, it's helpful for me because it gives us sort of some, some tangible things or some tangible steps that we, can, that we can take to help us know about living a life of victory. Now, this statement might surprise some of you, maybe not all of you, but believe it or not, there are, there's quite a few things in life that I know. Are, are you impressed with that? A lot of stuff I know, but let me tell you where I struggle. It is applying the stuff that I know to life. I know a lot of stuff, but I don't do real good at application. Uh, let me try to give you an example. I remember a number of years ago, I got Emily a bike. And uh, I got her this bike, and my goal was to save some money and put it together myself. 
And so I got the bike, and I mean, how, I mean, I mean we all know what a bike is. It's got a frame, pedals, and, you know, uh, maybe a little chain you stick on, and that's it. And so, but there's this book of directions that came with the bike. And the book of directions, I know that in that book of directions that it tells me how to put a bike together. But it's really small print. They have it like in four languages. Have you ever wondered about that? So it's like four languages, like 75 pages long. And so I just, when I see a lot of words, I, I ignore it. And so I know there's directions there, but I said, I can figure this thing out myself. And so I began to put her bike together. When I got to the end of it, I had extra parts, and which I thought was kind of nice. I was like, well, if there's ever a problem, I got some extra stuff. Now, the problem is, when I sat down on it, the bike collapsed. The back wheel fell off. Now, why was it? Well, I knew, I knew the directions, but I ignored them. Now, I really believe this. I believe spiritually, there's a lot of us that do the same thing. Now, here's what we believe. And we believe this in this church. There are many of us as, as believers who really believe this. This is God's word. We believe it has directions and, and leadership and guidance in this book on how to live. And I really believe a lot of us believe this, but what do many of us do? We go, this book has a lot of words in it. And so I'm going to try to figure it out all by myself. And so then we, we live life, we ignore what God's Word says, and then we find out that we are on rather shaky ground as we are faced with the trials and tribulations of life. Now my hope is, for me, for you, for this church, is that we will lay and build a solid foundation so that in the days ahead, when we're, you know, when we're dead and gone, that this will still be a community, that this will still be a place where people gather together to discover God and find out what he has in store for them. That it will be a place, that it will be a community of victory where we can say we're, we're the champions because of who God is. So it's, what are some steps that we can take to help us know that we are on a path to victory. I just want to share with you some real basic things, so several simple steps. I mean, when I say simple steps, I mean easy for me to see in Scripture and then try to apply it. So what are some steps that we can take for victory in this life in our walk with God? Here's the very first one. If we're going to be on a path to victory, God tells us that it is important that we work out our salvation. If you want to make sure that you're on a path that God wants you on, you want to work out your salvation. If you look in verse 12 and 13, Paul wrote this. He said, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who's working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. Now, there's some cool things that are written in these two verses, but verse 12 has always troubled me. When you get to the, ver at the end of verse number 12, it says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Have you, if you've read that before, I don't know if that's ever, that's always bothered me. Because in, in a sense, what it seems like it's saying there is it's like, hey, you ought to be scared because you don't know if God's hand's really on you. You know, good luck, work really hard, but, you know, when you die, then we're just going to see where the chips fall. That, that does not comfort me a whole lot. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But here's where I find some comfort, and this is where y'all get to participate. Who is Paul? Now, Paul's the guy that wrote this book. 
uh, this letter, who is Paul writing to? Anybody know? What's the name of the book? Philippians. Okay, he's writing to the Philippian people. Not just to the Philippian people in general. You know who he's writing to specifically? He's writing to the church. He's writing to people who are believers. So he's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. These are people who already have a walk with God. Now, for, for many people, they believe that if you look at this verse, and you know, you're trying to work out your salvation. There's stuff you've got to do in order to earn the good favor of God, to earn His grace, to earn His salvation. But when you look at the whole context of Scripture, guys, we don't earn anything from God. This is God's gracious. And we call out to God, God in His grace offers forgiveness. He offers life. He offers eternity. We're told this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. This is the important part right here. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works, not by what you do, lest any man should boast. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, in that while we were yet, it says, sinners. It says, Christ died for us. It doesn't say, and while we were yet trying really hard, you know, doing a whole lot of good things, that God said, finally, they've earned my good favor. It doesn't say that. It says, God says, in the midst of, of you being a sinner, it says God in his grace and in his love, he died for you. And for those of us who've trusted him, Paul says you are to work out your salvation. And he said, well, how do I work out my salvation? What exactly does that mean? Now this is, this is one of those little, uh, probably one of those little preacher things that I find that I think is really cool, so I hope you like it too. I was just looking, I was like, what does, the, what does that word work out mean? You are to work out your salvation. Here's what, it, here's what it literally means. It means to work to full completion. Okay, now, now what does that mean? It was a mining term in Paul's day. It meant that whenever you were in a mine, you wanted to get, you wanted to work it out, get all the ore and all the minerals out of that mine that you could to enrich yourself more and more. So when it talks about working out our salvation, you know what that means? It means we are to get all that we can out of all the promises and blessings that God offers to his people. It doesn't mean that you're trying to work and earn your salvation. It means God's already given it to you. And so you want to grow and mature and understand more and more of the promises that God gives you so that you can live in victory. And I said, well, if I do that, then, then what happens? Verse 13 says, as you seek out God, it says, then God will work in you. Now, the question I get asked a whole lot is, what does God want from me? Have you ever wondered that? You know, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? What is God's purpose for my life? What does God desire from me? It's real simple. What God desires from you is for you to be obedient to him. God's given us these words. He speaks to our hearts. And God says, I want you just simply to take what you have in here and apply it to your life. And you say, well, what happens if I do that? Let me tell you something. When you are obedient to God, this is something that is always true about God. God always honors obedience. Parents, when your kids are obedient to you, 
do you honor that? Isn't that awesome when they are? I mean, you know, there's a lot of us who are like, man, I've seen my kids be disobedient a lot of times, but when they are obedient, that is cool. And I know that for some of you thinking, oh, that you're just an old fogey. I promise you, I can't wait for, I can't, when my kids become parents, did your parents ever say this? I can't wait till you have a kid, and I hope he's just like you. Okay, we have all that stuff, but you know, it's so true. When our kids are obedient, what happens? As they are obedient, we entrust them with more and more things. Is that right? I mean, we trust them. Do you know God does the same thing with us? As we are obedient to him, he entrusts us just like a parent does with more and more things. This has been true in my life. I, and I've told you all this before. It's been a while. But I remember just the way that God's blessed us in obedience with me and Emily. A number of years ago, uh, my father and I, uh, my dad's a pastor as well, and so we were playing golf, which is what we do Monday through Friday. And so we were playing golf out at Wood Creek a number of years ago, and we went out, and this is, a, this is a good while ago. This is, gosh, maybe 15 years ago. And we saw, um, we saw some land for sale off Clemson Road, and my dad just made an offhand statement. He said, that would be a great place for a church to be. And I was, I was a pastor of a church in Lexington. And I remember when I saw it, it's like God used that, and he began to stir my mind and my heart. I couldn't, I couldn't let go of that. And I began to think, that would be a cool place. You know, at the time, there wasn't a whole lot out here. And I began to sense that God was calling, calling me to do something different, calling me and Emily to do something different. And we, we began to talk about it and after over a year of discussing it and, and praying about it. And I was doing a lot of stuff and in secret, you know, not, not telling Emily everything. I mean, I was willing to do anything at the time. Now, I've gotten older, so I'm not willing to do anything anymore. But back then, I was like, man, God, if you want us to go be missionary somewhere, we'll do it. If you want us to go to, um, if you want us to, go to Israel, even, I'll, you know, we'll do it. And uh, so then we worked our way back down to Blythewood. And so we sensed that God was calling us to come to Blythewood. Now, it would have been easier for us to stay where we were. We had, we had security there, but we had a sense that God was calling us to do something different, and we wanted to be obedient to him because we didn't want to miss out on what we believed God was going to do. And so every Sunday when I stand up here, I, I can look around, and y'all, when I stand up here, I, every time I see people and I see the ministries that's going on, I think, God's just affirmed us. As we were obedient to him, God's blessed. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If we are going to be on a path to victory, God created you to be victorious. And he wants you to be victorious by working out your salvation. By, by growing and maturing in what God's word says and trusting him more and more. And God will honor that. God always honors obedience. Okay, so what, what else do I see? Another thing I see about being on a path to victory is this. And I like this one a lot because it's real. Just a, this is a pra real practical one. For victory, we are told we are not to complain or argue. If, if you want to be on a path to victory... On a path that God has set you out on, God says this. If you want to do that, he says, then you don't complain and argue. You don't be a griper. And I'm not, just, I'm not pointing out anybody in particular here. That was first service. But in here, guys, I, this, is, this applies to me. Victory, don't complain or argue. Look at verse number 14. It says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Okay, I'm already convicted. It says, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like the stars in the world. Hold firmly the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run in vain or labor for nothing. There is not a whole lot more off-putting than when you come across people who are just, they are negative all the time, they gripe and they argue and they complain all the time. 
And, you know, and I'm good at seeing it in other people. Now, when it comes to I have a right to do that. You know, that's the way I feel. But when I see other people do it, and when you do, what, when you see a person who's always negative, what, and they're coming towards you, what do you want to do? You're looking to run. You know, or you're looking, hey, let me introduce you to somebody, and you introduce them, and you walk off. I mean, you know, you're trying to, you don't, nobody enjoys being around a person who's always complaining and arguing, who's always griping. Now, look at Paul, and if you read through his letters, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and we've said this before, almost every time Paul is writing a letter in this book, where is he? He's in jail. Now, you talk about a guy, I mean, it's because of his faith, it's not because of some crime he committed that was bad, it's because he was a follower of God, and they couldn't stand it. They'd throw him in jail. Paul had every reason to gripe and complain. But nowhere will you see him griping or complaining as he's in prison. What's he doing? He's encouraging people. He's, he's telling people how to live a victorious life. He's a guy that was building people up. Now, why in the world would he do something like that? The reason why is because he knew that is what God had in mind for him. He knew what his purpose was. And it was a purpose that God had set for him. Did you know God has set a purpose for your life? I don't care who you are, what you're going through, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. Now, one of those quoted verses, of course, concerning plans with God's Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. That is a scripture that was written to the Hebrew people while they were in captivity. Guys, it is also a scripture that applies to you. See, we're told in various places that God knew who we were before we were ever born. Jeremiah said, before I was ever born, God knew me. The book of Psalms says that God knew our inmost part. He knitted together our inmost parts while we were in our mother's wombs. God knew us before the foundations of the earth. So God knows you. And God has a plan for your life. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now when we grumble and complain, and we are saying we believe God has plans for us, when we grumble, complain, and gripe, ultimately what we are doing is we are saying, God, I don't trust you. God, with what's going on in my life, it is obvious you're not in control. And God, I don't trust you. And folks, if we don't complain and argue and we are people who say, this is what I'm going through, but I believe God can work through it, you know what happens? People will take notice. It, it, it's not hard to gripe and complain. I can, man, I can, I can do it right now. That, it's not hard to gripe and complain, but you know what? When you are a person who is positive, when you are a person who believes, you know what, God has his hand on me, you will stand out from the crowd. Now, we live in a, we live, and I say this all the time, but it's true. We, we live in a dark and depraved world. Now, we, we mask it with a lot of different things. We try to laugh a bunch of stuff off. We, we, we kind of uh, hide from what, what happens in our world. We can watch shows and entertainment and all those things. It sort of like, sort of comforts us and kind of block out what the real world is like. You guys would say the world's dark. And whenever we are in darkness, what do we need more than anything else? We need light. People are drawn to light. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul says, for those of us who don't gripe or complain, in the verses we just read, Paul says, you will shine like the stars in heaven. Now, when, when do stars shine? At best, when you can see them best? At night. 
believers, we live in a dark world, when we don't gripe or complain and we trust that God can work through us, we will shine like the stars in heaven. And people are drawn to light. And whenever you're in the light, you're, you're able to see. You know, whenever you're in the light, you're able to see where to go, how to map out your life. Uh, there's a story about a man named Borglum. His last name was Borglum. He was a famous sculptor in the, uh, the 19th century. And uh, he was known for, for doing busts of people. And he had this big block of stone, and he had his chisel out, and he's working on it, chiseling things, and uh, chiseling, the, uh, chiseling the, uh, the stone. And this lady was watching him, and she said, uh, she, she said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just, I'm, I'm working on something. And so she'd come by and watch him every day. And after a period of time, she began to see the shape of it take place. It's, it's a head. And then as he continued to work, she began to realize it was Abraham Lincoln. He was making the bu- He's known for the bust of Abraham Lincoln. And so when he was getting finished, she walked over to him and she said, I got a question for you. He said, yeah, what is it? She said, how in the world did you know that Abraham Lincoln's head was in that stone? Now, folks, when the world looks at us, when people look at Christians, they ought to ask the question, how in the world, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of all the pain and all the junk and all the unfair things that happen in life, how in the world do you see God? How in the world do you live your life knowing that your life has meaning and purpose? See, we're we're a light. And when we don't gripe and complain and we trust God, Jesus says that we are a light to the world. Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, you're a light to the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. He said, no, instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Philistines, that's who we're to be. We're to be a light so people see God. And they'll be pointed to his direction, and they can find life. How do we live a victorious life? Well, it starts off with that we work out our salvation. Next thing is we don't complain or argue, and this is the last thing. This is probably one of my favorite ones. If we're going to be on a path to victory, how do I know if I'm on a path to victory? Here's how you know. Last one, you spend your life. You spend it. Now, I think most of the time what we try to do is we try to protect our life. Try to do whatever we can to save our life. Paul says if you want victory in your life, you spend it. You give it away. Now, look with me in our last couple of verses. We'll read verse 17 and 18. Here's what Paul said. Remember, he's in prison. Paul said, but, but even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, this is in reference to being executed, on the sacrifice and service of your faith, he said, I'm glad, and I rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you also rejoice, you should rejoice and share your joy with me. Now, Paul's in prison. He's, he is very vulnerable to dying at the hands of an executioner. I can't even imagine how, I'd be afraid to even guess how I'd respond if I was in this situation. You know, it, it, I don't, it, I am so, you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid it would not be a good picture of who I am. But here's Paul, and what's Paul doing? He's facing execution, and he says, guys, rejoice with me. Now, is that crazy? That's crazy talk. Rejoice with me. Was he lost his mind? 
How can he say rejoice with me? He says, because I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Now they did. They had drink offerings in this day where they would have wine and, and they would pour it out. You might say, well, that's a, if you're a wine connoisseur, you might say, that's a waste of wine. I mean, he's not drinking it for himself. He's pouring it out. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't using it for himself. He was pouring it out as an offering to God. Paul said, you can rejoice with me because if I die, that means my life is like a drink offering that was not spent on me, but it was spent and poured out for God. Now that is a rare, a rare idea these days about spending our lives on something other than ourselves. Like I said, we're trying to do whatever we can in order to protect ourselves, to live for me, to make sure that that everything is all about me. And I look and I see Paul and he says, I'm spending my life for God. As if we don't spend our lives, we'll miss out. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39. He said, whoever finds his life, in other words, whoever's trying to save his life, he said, he'll lose it. And whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. So here's my question. What are you spending your life on? What are you investing yourself in? Are you, are you spending your life in a way that you're trying to do everything that you can to protect your life? To try to get more and more stuff for you? I, you know, I think there's a, a lot of us in our tendencies, we want to teach our kids to teach them how to, how to survive in this world, how to be able to make, get a lot of material things. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But guys, we have to keep those things in their proper place. Because if those things become the main priorities in our lives, then we're just going to end up, and our kids are going to end up with a life, lot with lives filled with uh, trophies and cash. And it ain't going to matter in the next life. God says, "You seek after me." He says, "I have forgiveness, have eternal life, meaning, and purpose." Who you spend, I mean, who's, are you spending your life? It's a question for me. Am I spending my life? Am I, am I investing in other people? Not so I can get something out of them, but am I investing in other people and spending myself so that they'll see Jesus? Because, guys, there's coming a day when this life will end. People need to see Jesus, and they're not going to see him in any other way, humanly speaking, except through you. And through me, that's, not, that's why this church is here. We are here to spend ourselves for this community, and to spend ourselves for our neighbors, and then for our family, and for our friends. Now, Paul, he knew he'd spent his life well. That's why I said, I'm getting ready to die probably. Rejoice with me. Crazy. But he's okay with it. Because he said, I've spent myself. You know, what good's money? I mean, what's, what good is if I, if I die with a million bucks in the bank, what good is that million bucks for me? It's just sitting in the bank. But if I spend it, if I use it for something just other than myself, then great things can happen. A great story about a guy named Dawson Trotman. He is the founder of Navigators Ministries. Uh, but Dawson Trotman died in 1956 on Shroon Lake in New York doing something he was an expert at. He, he drowned. He was an expert swimmer and he drowned. Now what happens, he's in a boat with one of his buddies, and they saw some little girls that were struggling as they were swimming, and they, they kept going under. And they got over to those girls as fast as they could, and Trotman, he dove into the water, 
and the girls were not, they were no longer on top of the water. He was underwater searching for them. And he found one of the girls, and he brought her up, and he handed her to his friend, and he went back down looking for the other girl. After being under the water for a long period of time, he found the other girl, he brought her up, he handed her to the man in the boat, his friend in the boat, and then he submerged under the water, and he wasn't seen again for several hours until a dragnet came by, and they pulled him up from the bottom. He drowned. His friend on the boat said the U.S. Navy could not have saved him that day. He said it was his time. He was such an influential man in his ministry. Time magazine ran an article on him. And they had a a picture of his face, and there was a caption underneath his face. And it said, Dawson Trotman, it said, always holding somebody up. That's pretty cool. Always holding somebody up. As I looked at that and I thought about that, when when we come to the end, are people going to look at us and look at me and say, that that is a man, that is a woman who is always holding somebody else up. Now, if you do that, here's the deal. There's a cost that's involved. For Dawson Trotman, it cost him his life. He gave it all. He spent it. But there were two girls that he invested in who were changed, who were saved, who were absolutely rescued. Now, again, the question for me and for you, who are you holding up? Who is it that you are investing in? You see, God has given you and me life for us to spend it, not to sit on it. He said, if you spend your life, you'll find victory. How can I know I'm on a pathway to victory? Well, Paul says, we'll make sure you're on the right path. He said, work out your salvation. You know, trust God, trust his promises, and then apply them. Don't complain and argue. You do that, so people are going to be looking to you. They're drawn to light. And then he says, and then spend your life. Spend your life. Invest it in others that they might know who God is. Now, there's some of us in... And the fact of the matter is, when we look at the Bible, we talk about the things of the Bible, you might have grown up in the church. Some of you, if you were on Jeopardy, you would win every week on Bible questions. But when it comes down to it, you'd say, I might have all that knowledge, but I have to, I have to be honest and say, I don't apply it to my life. For some of you, it's time for you to begin to apply it. And I'll challenge you to do it. It could be it's time for some of you today, and you might know some of the answers, but it's time for you today to say, God, I know in my head some of the answers, but Lord, today, I give myself to you. I am giving my life to you, and I will live for you. Change me. Forgive me. Others of us, we're we're believers, already followers of God, but you'd have to say, you know what, when I think about it, I I topped out when I became a follower of Jesus. You know, that's like the highlight of my Christian walk. Let me tell you something, it it is time for you to grow. You know, if you stay a baby forever, there's something wrong. You know, it's not right. It's time to grow. So what I do, start spending yourself. Trust, trust God. Invest your life in other people. Hold somebody else up that they might see Jesus. Spend time talking to God. And so that's my challenge for you.